I mean, most yeah. people, when you talk about teenagers, they don't want to go there because it's messy, it's confusing. And if you're a parent of teenagers, it's there's not a lot of people you can talk to about what it's like. Welcome to With You Podcast. I'm David. And I'm Tara. I'm a marriage and family therapist and professor. And I'm a birth doula and educator. And we're married to each other. We've raised four kids. And we're in professions, as you see, that deal with coming alongside people. Right. So in this podcast, we're going to share what we've learned about relationships and life transitions. We'll do that by sharing our own experiences, by interviewing people who have a great story to tell. Mm -hmm. And we've got some expert interviews to, to give us some even better information. It's going to be so good. Let's get started. Please join us. Welcome to With You Podcast. I'm Tara. And I'm David. And we're here to talk about relationships. Yeah. The relationships today we're going to talk about are adolescents. Or teenagers or, you know, that, that middle time of life. Yeah. Somewhere in the middle. That's right. <laughs> you want to kind of define that. So we were kind of jumping off um, our last podcast where we talked to Mark Ostreicher, who is has written a lot of books about working with teenagers. And we've raised four of them ourselves. So we're really interested in the topic. That's right. This is the first year we're without one. Our youngest right. is 20. 20. So we can now talk about it in the past, which is yeah. Good. <laughs> well, you know, not really. So if we're if we're talking about when is adolescence? It ranges from eight to ten to now twenty-five. So when you and I were growing up, adolescence chunk of life. Yeah, I mean, teenagers. You thought the teens, thirteen to nineteen, yeah. and that was that was it. But it's it's more extended now. That yeah. Why is why is that? So the normal biological stuff that happens is usually that early on period of the hormonal changes, eight to ten, that range, and then the biological changes that we see the all the parts changing and the growth spurts is usually by fifteen or sixteen, but then it's now twenty five, partly because of how the brain develops. Okay, I mean that's what I'm hearing lately is that people are saying kids are entering puberty a lot earlier than they used to. Yeah. Do you know if that's true around the world or is that yeah, I, just where we are? I think I think we see some earlier development. There's a there's a wide range. And so the the biological changes that happen that we don't see are the eight to ten. So I know my kids and you always say I like talking about smell and not to talk about <laughs> smell do. as much. Uh, but it's you can tell. Like I love I love the little kid newborn baby smell, just like a new car smell. It just smells so good. So you smell a new baby, and it's uh, it's different to sniff a teenager's yeah, head, right? Yeah, and then and then, but I always thought it was a teenager. But it's really like for our kids, it was what? How old were they? What, when what? When they started to smell off a bit. Oh, eight. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, yeah, when they come home from school and you're like, ooh, do we need to talk about deodorant? <laughs> that's right. It's like fourth grade. You yeah. start noticing yeah. they're smelling. And, and that's really the changes that are happening uh, hormonally before we see the secondary sex characteristic changes. And yeah, you just kind of notice, oh, they, they smell different. Mm -hmm. And uh, other than that, you don't notice anything. And then you see all the, the pubertal timing in terms of menarche and spermarche and all oh, the... I knew you'd go there. I oh, love... Oh, my gosh. Maybe we should Let's put a warning. Let's not talk about puberty parties or uh, any of that. All right, right. So, so we're talking about teenagers, but it's not... If we're talking about adolescence, it's extended before and after the teenage years. That's right. Kind of that time of big change. That's a, I mean, it's a big chunk of time. It is. And, and there's so much change happening. I get really excited. I work, my area of work in therapy is with adolescents and their families, and I just love it because... Yeah, but that's unusual, right? I mean, most yeah. people, when you talk about teenagers, it, it's kind of a it's a topic people don't want to... They don't want to go there because it's messy, it's confusing, and if you're a parent of teenagers, it's there's not a lot of people you can talk to about what it's like because they have their own lives 
They yeah. want some privacy. I think, and I think there's fear. I think there's fear for us as parents because it was really kind of maybe an out of control time or a just strange time in our lives when we were teenagers mm-hmm. and fear of, uh, we talk about little people, little problems, big people, big problems. Mm-hmm. And I think we worry about the mistakes that can be made as a teenager feel yeah. like they have bigger consequences. Yeah, it does feel that way. So I think that I think there's you start a lot to have a private life too. So you don't know everything that's going along going on. Yeah, I, and I think that that fear drives us a little bit that we have to challenge. So yeah, normal people probably are uncomfortable with adolescence. I'm just twisted in a way where I think it's it's fascinating yeah. and fun. I loved having teenagers too, honestly. Yeah, I loved that time. They're great, and I think one of the things they're great is because of all the change. And I think it's because we have a bigger perspective. Like you and I have a developmental perspective. That really helps anchor us and make the make the unknown that's going on uh, known with a, a frame, a developmental frame. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's one of our things that helps us with anything that's hard in life is kind of taking a step back and, and looking at that bigger picture. Like everything's temporary. Yeah. This time will pass. That's right. <laughs> or this time has a purpose in the grander plan that that all helps. Yeah. And it yeah. and then it helps us if we have that big picture to make the decisions in the moment mm-hmm. a little bit less pressure filled. Mm-hmm. So the and I like thinking of adolescence as just this remarkable opportunity. Uh, there, uh, we might think of it as chaotic and crisis, but I think it's that they're much more flexible and willing to try things because so much is changing. Yeah, um, that they have their bodies are changing, the way their thinking is changing, how they uh, sleep or not is changing, the activity yeah. levels, like yeah. the in- independence. So they're growing more. Isn't it true they grow more in that time period than they do in that toddler year time? Like, yeah, we can't see it as dramatically because they're not growing inches. Well, they kind of are they, <laughs> as they grow inches overnight. They are. So they grow like, I think during puberty change, the couple of years that they're physically changing, they gain 25% of their body mass and 25% of their height all in that period. The only faster growing is the first two years of life. And that, for, for me, that's not all that interesting when they're in the first two years. There's a lot. They go from kind of needing you all the time to being able to walk and say no, um, right? And mm-hmm. there's a huge amount of growth in those first two. But then from that period, adolescence is so much more of change. And the way they the way they grow, I just love uh, because they grow from basically the outside in. So you know this in terms of the birth work of how babies develop in mm-hmm. utero uh when they're growing their ears mm-hmm. kind of migrate up their head and their eyes move from the side to the center well adolescents have that same growth pattern it's just their limbs so their arms like those big puppy dog feet first before yeah. the rest of them grows yeah. yes the farthest out part their yeah. hands and their feet they look right disproportionate yeah i mean partly we're talking about this because we think teenagers are pretty cool and it i know it doesn't mean it was easy for us at all but we think understand if we can help each other understand why they are the way they are yeah. it's really going to help us all relate to them better yeah. just like any human relationship like the more you get into that other person's perspective the more you can understand why they're behaving the way they are and behavior is a big thing with, <laughs> with teenagers that we struggle with it really is and uh, you know for can you can you remember for our kids or for us i've been thinking about this of what was the change period like for us of our bodies changing or the kids bodies oh, changing <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i i just remember um i was a little bit of an earlier timer so i hit puberty early which was great that's great for boys yeah it is it's great for boys because the teachers treated me like i was um more of an adult yeah Yeah. and you make the athletic teams yeah Yeah, all of that so it was really good um now i tapped out i stopped growing basically my senior year of high school yeah 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 and our kids i remember them growing in spurts you know like i i remember taking to taking them to get new clothes and finding out they were a few sizes bigger than what they were wearing. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. we come in for shoes and you need two sizes bigger than what you're wearing right now. <laughs> That's an oops. Cause they, they just grow overnight. Yeah. It's, it's remarkable. Yeah. I do remember the minute the boys would all this, it felt sudden, like I would turn around in the kitchen and there'd be another man looking eye to eye with me. And it was my son. 
Like, just where did you come from? <laughs> I remember that phone call. You said, I I turned around and I was worried that there was another man in the house. And then, because uh, I was at work in the city yeah. and you're like, oh no, it's just one of the kids. Yeah, because it just sneaks up. I mean, they sneak up on you. <laughs> and, it, and the growth happens so fast. I don't know where our kids were on the curve. I think they were pretty average as far as when, yeah. maybe a little early. Yeah. and For uh, some of them, yeah. And for boys, the younger that you hit puberty, the better. For girls, it's the opposite, which doesn't seem fair, uh, but it's better to be a late timer as a girl. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and what are some of those developmental things that they're working on during that time of growth? Because I know there's there's a lo- there's reasons that they're growing that way and things that they're trying to accomplish. Yeah. The, the adolescent kind of growth they're looking at kind of how do I interact with the world? How do I interact with my changing body and how I think differently about mm-hmm. it? I think the 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 most obvious for us is their physical changes, like you're talking about the growth. But I think cognitively is a huge piece of their able to think rationally and logically, but without judgment. Getting back <laughs> getting, getting back to that idea of that they're not fully That's why it's adults. so scary parenting them because they're making – they're they're prone to risk taking yeah. and they don't quite have the judgment part of their brain wired and they get new driver's licenses. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. They can yeah, they can run a a possible weapon around. Um I know for us we could see when they shifted thinking when they would start saying, well, actually, mom, or actually, dad, I think that was a common statement for like two years for yeah. each of them around yeah. our that was really frustrating. Our life. And, and it, we'd <laughs> be... they corrected. They needed exact, exact truth. Yeah. Right. So yep. if I said it was two o'clock, no, it's 2.04. Yeah. Like just exact truth and justice are big in their minds, which is, which can be fabulous really it is it it gets them fired up for for important things but it can also be misplaced (laughs) well and and when they remind us of our being off a little bit or not being congruent usually in front of your friends yeah usually in front of my friends you said we couldn't go to that party on friday we're not doing anything yeah why why not dad (laughs) and you just kind of be frustrated with them and they didn't do anything wrong they were exercising this kind of critical thinking but they didn't understand the implications or weren't attending to the implications and and what we know with neurobiology that part of our brain, it's located here. Oh, I guess I can't show. It's the, your right prefrontal cortex. Yeah, yeah right in the right above your right eye, kind of, uh, is what helps in terms of executive functioning. So making decisions, judgment. Mm-hmm. And what we see is that that's not fully formed until 25, um, especially in boys. In girls, it's going to be a little bit earlier. Car insurance is so high when it, you have a teenage boy. It is. And I was I was fascinated by that because I'm like, are they reading the neurobiology articles? Yeah, they are. No, they're not. <laughs> they're measuring. Not the kids, the no, insurance companies. <laughs> the, no, the insurance companies are working it off the actuarial. The of yeah, the yeah, actuarial yeah, yeah. tables. Same, so same. <laughs> they're just looking at behavior. Behavior right. And like, oh, people are driving into things and having accidents a lot. <laughs> it means they're not making good judgment. And, yeah. and we, we really have to help. We can help it along because it's kind of that conversation in their brain that we can help facilitate of let's let's think through this right uh, but then okay so if this happened and then this and, oh that'll never happen okay but let's just do a suppose let's suppose this would yeah. happen well and that i mean that's one of the things that's amazing about teenagers is they're this massive ball of contradictions mm-hmm. you know like that risk taking that need for risk taking it can be amazing it can also be really scary so some ways that we I mean, I started to realize it's not just a thing that you kind of have to live with and hope they'll they'll live through it. It's actually kind of a, a need, developmental task to push up against where are my boundaries, taking risks, you know, going beyond what they've known in their lives so far. So one thing that I, I just made me think of this when I thought about <laughs> risk taking, um, I went skydiving when I was 35. Oh, yeah. And the kids came along and they, saw me yeah. and then they wanted to do it. And I thought, oh shoot, what have I done? Yeah. But then I encouraged it and I took them all on their 18th birthday. And I was still thinking, oh shoot, what have we done? <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> We're not recommending this as, a, no, as a, this is for an everybody as a parenting rite of passage. But Correct. for us, 
it was fun to give them a huge adrenaline kick and and push up against like something scary and they all were excited to do it. I don't think any of them want to do it again. Well, some of them, two of them might say they want to do it. <laughs> but it kind of also calls the bluff when they, they have an opportunity to try something that's scary yeah. and, and they realize, yeah, okay, tried it. Don't need to try it again. It was kind of fun to see them experience that and feel how far do I want to push this? And I think that's a superpower of yours. And it's it's always nice when the parents have slightly different superpowers because I <laughs> it think is. it's helpful. I think your risk taking and kind of adrenaline seeking and willingness to have an adventure has been really helpful in those ways. Um, and I think my my superpower is probably humor and play. I think that's um, true. That's good. That not taking things too seriously. Mm -hmm. You're like, Hey, let's try this crazy, really stupid thing. <laughs> <Wait>. <laughs> and, and I'm like, yes. And I'll wait here to see if you bounce. Uh, right. Yeah, kind the of, first two times you watched and then you said, you know what? I'm not, yeah, I'm not coming I anymore. I don't, I don't need to do that. Fine. Anymore. I don't, I don't like to worry about you worrying on the ground anyway. <laughs> yeah. It was showing that we both can take care of ourselves in different ways. <laughs> and we were kind of modeling that for the kids. Yeah. And you're right. Playfulness is a huge thing that has been helpful. And I mean, maybe we're moving into relating to our teenagers, but yeah. um, well, we have, I want to talk about yeah. one more of the biology things because oh, sure, it's, yeah. it, it, it's this back is... to, it's back to middle school and it's a, it's really fun story that I want to make sure we talk about. Okay. So we have this kind of cognitive change happening and I was kind of talking about the growth of how the arms and legs are longer. Mm -hmm. uh, and and we've talked before, it's kind of Picasso-esque that they're growing and all their yeah. parts are not it's in the right of, places yeah. at the right time. And it comes out most, we saw it most in Let's Dance. Oh, that was so fun. In middle school. In, so in, where we live, middle school is sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. And there, there was a, a program that I think it was just for eighth, it was seventh and eighth grade, yeah, where they could go to this basically a dance class, and it was over I don't know six or eight weeks or something, yeah. And they would go on a you know like a Wednesday night or something, and there was this guy that would teach them dances and socialization, right? So it was both both things. And you I think. think a seventh grade boy would be like absolutely not, but it it actually ended up being kind of a thing that was all the kids wanted to do yeah we'd come they would come up and uh, one of our kids would be you know probably a boy and girl interaction would be like this oh hello tara could you oh, go for a walk or dance with me yeah. <laughs> they didn't have to ask each other to this thing it was a class no so. but during the class yeah. in the dancing come on that was a great middle school oh boy i saw the fear in your eyes like oh how do i let this boy down easy <laughs> Yeah, so I think, you're, anyway. I, think, I think your point of this story was the visuals because I, the parents got to volunteer to bring snacks to this thing. So it was kind of fun to get to have a little view into what was going on in dance class. Yeah. And it the the way it worked was that nobody had to ask anybody or have that awkward conversation because we all know everything about being in middle school is awkward mm -hmm. enough but they would line the boys and girls up on opposite sides of the gym and they would come you know they'd have to keep changing partners and you'd just get who you got matched up with and then watching that process was hilarious because the, the rate of change the rate of growth for girls and boys and and different timings was so different yeah. that you'd see most of the girls were towering yeah. two feet over the boys. Because girls developed two years ahead of boys. Right. And they also looked a lot older yes. than some of the, especially the seventh grade boys. And, and they were all, you know, just different shapes, different sizes, different. Some looked so mature, might even have had a little facial hair. Others were, you know, looked like they were 10. It was just so funny to watch because they're all, they're all in the same yeah. And they're all the same age. I wish we could like show a video because I think you and I could do the dance really well. If you stand on the chair and I'd get on my knees here, uh, the guys have their hands up like a touchdown sign trying to dance to with the girls. The, the because girl. Yeah. I mean, it's just so, fun. it's so just kind of, to me, it's a good just snapshot picture of what middle school 
looks like as yeah. far as all the differences and everybody trying to fit in and do the same thing, but they're all at really different places in their life. Mm -hmm. And they're, yeah. they're constantly scanning to kind of that socialization of do I fit in? Don't I fit in? That's part of the, the biology and the cognition coming together of the kids are all looking of, am I like everybody else? Am I not? Yeah. I mean, that's the How other big contradiction, yeah. right? Is that they want to be unique. That's, you hear that from all teenagers. I want to be unique. I want to be my own person. But then they're dressing exactly like their friends. Oh yeah. Like the other night when we were walking to get ice cream. Yeah. We saw a group of boys and they were all, I just laughed because they were all wearing the same hoodie, the same <laughs> shorts. And then so they all got off their bikes that were exactly the same, but they were I'm sure they all thought they were unique, unique. <laughs> and yet they were unique all in the same yeah, way. Yeah. Cause we want to fit in. And that's the, that's one of the tasks of figuring that out. Right. Yeah. Like where do I fit? Who likes me? Why? Yeah. What makes me likable? And I think for us as parents, we get nervous that that their attempts to figure that out are going to be end states that, Oh, they just dyed their hair red. And oh no, their hair is going to be red forever and always where they're just trying things on. It's like trying on your clothes and going, oh, not going to wear this today. Not going to wear this today. Do you wear any weird stuff when you were a teenager? Do you try oh, any weird hairstyles or I had, anything? I had pretty some, mainstream, weren't you? Yeah, I was. I kind of, I wore some interesting pants in the 80s, <laughs> parachute pants. Oh, parachute uh, pants. Yeah, and I, I did have a pair of hammer pants. Did I tell you about my Levi's? No. My <laughs> well, you know, I, I mean, my context makes my adolescence pretty difficult because I lived in three different continents during that time. Mm. What, so, what ages were you when you were I living mean, across the continents? From nine, I was in Australia and then we were in the U.S. and then we were in Africa and then back to the U.S. during that time. So halfway through my eighth grade year, we moved from Africa to Arizona. Oof. That's that's a tricky time. Yeah. So not the beginning of a school year, but halfway through eighth grade. And I, I scanned around to see kind of how, because this was entirely new to me, mm -hmm. what everybody was wearing. When we lived in Africa, we had no TV, no radio, no, I had no context of the popular culture. I didn't know who Michael Jackson was. He was the biggest, you know, he was, he was it then. So I noticed that all the cool kids were wearing Levi 501 shrink to fit jeans. Oh yeah, I remember. remember those? I do remember that. You buy them like stiff off the shelf that nowhere near fit you. You had to know your size and you wash them like five times and then they yeah. would Well, you they would you. they would fit you close, but then you'd wash them and they'd get tight. Yeah, I guess that was the That's idea. how that yeah, that's how so I did it. We had just come from Africa. We didn't have money, but my mom wanted me to help me. I was wearing hand-me-down clothes from you know had been through yeah. several generations of my cousins and had been all over the world at right. three different yeah, continents literally yeah. so she let me get a pair of these jeans and we didn't know what we were doing and we washed them and they were still probably at least two sizes too big <laughs> for me but i still wore them every day because Ooh. i f i thought it made me look like i fit in and i probably looked really ridiculous yeah <laughs> So, yeah, so you were scanning thinking, oh, I'm the same this as everybody I, else. This is how I just blend in because everybody thought it was weird enough that I came from yeah. Africa. They asked me about, you know, if I rode wild animals to school and stuff. Yeah. So I so was then trying you to blend in. Ballooning, these <laughs> ballooning pants hit, cinched with what? Yeah, with a rope or something. No, <laughs> it wasn't like that. But, yeah, yeah. So you do what you can and kids do it in different ways to sort of – not cause well some go to different extremes some really want to be noticed and yeah. some really want to blend in well when we had like in the 80s we had all those groups right you had the burners the stoners the jocks the preps the uh yeah i kinda, think it's less well defined now. yeah i think yeah. that was very much a generational thing mm -hmm. but it's it's the same kind of idea and i know for us looking at pictures even though we grew up in different parts of the world the feathered hair Oh yeah, was the Got unifying hours early to curl and feather that hair. Oh yeah, and I, <laughs> I mean, spray. it's hard to believe now as you look at me, but I did have some You're wicked hair some that feathers? I could feather, <laughs> and uh, it was—it's probably the only time in my you didn't life. Didn't have a mullet, did you? Uh, <laughs> nope. Oh, let's just say no to that. Uh, I. Yeah, no, I just, we'll talk about feathering. And All right. So using a hairdryer, figuring out how to feather. Now my hairdryer is a towel. <laughs> yeah. 
but I think it, it was it was interesting because we thought we were being unique. So there's this kind of tension between I want to fit in and do what everybody else, and I want to be unique. And usually both of those are fails in most of the time because we try to fit in and it's not quite right. And we try to be unique and it's doing what everybody else is doing. Yeah. Um, and it's fascinating. Yeah. And to don't think you think about. each teenager thinks that they're the one that's different or weird or awkward? I, I remember that with our kids, especially our, our daughter, because she'd be the one to tell me what she was feeling. Most of the boys didn't really talk about it that much, but yeah. she would think she was the only one who felt awkward in middle school. And I think we used to tell the kids, embrace the weirdness. Yeah, embrace like, the weird. You just got to embrace it. Everybody else feels weird. Everybody else feels awkward. The more you embrace it, the less it's going to be a thing that holds you back, you know? Just like go with it. Yeah. And that was, uh, and they did, they leaned into that a little bit, but I also think that's the same thing for parents that raising an adolescent, uh, when we have young ones, newborns and middle school or, uh, toddlers, uh, there's usually groups of parents that get together mm -hmm. and you talk about parenting the young ones before they start school. And then at school, if you're lucky enough to do drop off or pick up, you're kind of meeting other parents. Mm -hmm. So there's this kind of community of parenting that right. you realize we're all kind of in this together. And then adolescence happen. Yeah. Uh, middle school, all of a sudden you're not at the school right. bringing if cookies. You, if you are or, dropping them off, they want you to drop drop them off a, a block away at least oh yeah and if <laughs> if there's going to be a kiss and hug which there always was in our family it would be well before we got to the school drop off oh yeah but, that happened at home <laughs> yeah but it always had they had a choice they could have it the easy way or the hard way i guess we shouldn't talk about love as easy way or hard way but uh it was yeah kiss yeah, here or kiss there. you don't outgrow hugs from your mother no. so that's how it's gonna go now just just an aside so at the college i teach at annika our youngest goes there and occasionally i'll be walking on the college campus and all of a sudden i see this college girl come running at me and then jump and give me a kiss and, and it's annika yeah but i know it's annika but on the campus, Other not everybody walking by is like, uh... yeah, they're like, Dr. Van Dyke, why are college students jumping on you, no, kissing just you? One. Just one, just, just this just one. The one that, and then, and she goes, I'm his daughter. And so it's, it's okay. But there's, I think you set those patterns and they, mm -hmm. they continue on, which is a beautiful thing. But getting back to, I think when we're parenting adolescents, we feel like ours are broken in a unique way or we're struggling with other the changes yeah. in a unique way. And that isolation is just a killer. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Because I think once we get to that stage and our teenagers have their own lives and their own social media and stuff, you can't, you know, I see parents of toddlers posting stuff online with, you know, this is what we're doing with potty training. You can't reveal that stuff about your teenager. <laughs> So you, you you don't have the same sort of way to express what you're going through. And some people keep it to themselves because they have this impression that everybody else is doing better than they are. Yep. And partly, I think social media is to blame because we believe just the little Insta stories that we see. Mm -hmm. And well, partly and we it's all... because we just are, I we're just, we don't have the same way to gather. Yeah to talk about it in that stage. And don't you think we all put, I mean, us too, we all put our best face forward. Yeah, we always usually tell our best stories. Yeah, yeah. and not the not the vulnerable ones of, mm -hmm. oh, my child's struggling with depression or is, um, is having a, a difficult time with grades or uh, it's all, oh, I made the Honor Society. We, we broadcast the positives, but there's no space to talk about the challenges. And when we do parenting classes with adolescents, parents of adolescents. Um, that's the one thing. It's not even the content we talk about. It's helpful to think about how do we understand development, but it's like, oh, this is developmental and everybody's going through it. Oh, okay. So now it's not a bad thing for us. And it frees up a shame and a isolation right. to- that you're not the only one is- Yeah, is it takes the pressure helpful. off. Mm -hmm. And then think about that. If we don't have that pressure, we're going to respond differently. And that different response is going to lead to a potential trajectory of something different, which is really encouraging. It's what gets me excited. Yeah. That... So I've had people say though, like, how do you share the, the reality of the most difficult things that are going on without- violating your child's privacy yeah I you know that's I, tricky i think we're struggling with that of the stories we tell of how are we gonna pick the right stories without identifying which child and... <laughs> right and so just the fact that you're a professor 
teaching about family development. They all yeah. know that you talk about them already. <laughs> so certain stories have been cleared already for class and yeah. such. But um, but that's that's part of the relational focus, right? Mm-hmm. So whether it's our marriage or parenting the kids, there's a deal that we have all made of we check out stories. Can I talk about... Um, kind of the idea when you became aware of your private parts. Is that an okay (laughs) or not okay? Uh, Can I talk about uh, kind of arguments and how we do repair? Can I, uh, but before doing it, that relational part, I think is so important that we have that respect for each other. And for me as the dad, um, not just going, well, I'm the dad, I'm the authority, I can make these decisions, but as a... Having respect for them as an autonomous person. Yeah, and that they are a full person. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we don't think of them as full people. I know, and that's a thing that drove us kind of mad with the way the church was set up and some other places that kind of set teenagers aside into sort of a holding, even the middle school, we we still drive by it and say, Oh, it looks like a prison yard. (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of like they're just holding their yard where they have to go out and exercise. They're not young adults. They're just kind of in this middle ground. And we really think the perspective and the language around, you know, how we talk about them, how we think about them can change how they feel about themselves can change um the way they feel like uh fully respected human beings instead of just like well you're on your way what are you going to be when you grow up or you know maybe you can do this in a few years when you know you get good at something i think they're they're capable of so much well look how hard we push them academically Mm and their music and their art and their all the all the domains we have them in classes and in, you know, some people do extra things. Why not use those skills in relationships? So uh, you and I talk about this of, we get frustrated sometimes. Well, I'll speak for me and you can say yes or no. I get, I get frustrated sometimes of maybe our youth ministry in, in church culture is to have a kind of Sunday once a year. That's the youth Sunday. And they're all on show showing their gifts, but the rest of the time they're locked upstairs in the the church, in the youth room. Um, and and the room smells pretty bad. I'm not going to lie, uh, but <laughs> back, to the smells. back to the smells. I know, but they're they're locked away doing their own thing because the assumption is they want to be separate. They want to have the center of gravity away from family, and some of that's true. But they're skilled, gifted people. What happens if we yeah, integrate them, them? Everything. Yeah. yeah. And so if someone's musically talented, why aren't they on the cycle of the worship team? Uh, some places we've talked before have said, yeah, but you know, we want perfection. No, they didn't say that, but we want performance take more training and, and yeah. yeah. And there might be mistakes. And it's like, that's, that's life together, right? Are we okay with mistakes? Are well, we that's okay? Part with... of the problem. I think that's kind of one of the core parts of the issue that a lot of people have with teenagers is that it's messy. Mm-hmm. It's uh, unpredictable. We've learned to kind of accept as part of life in general. Yeah. So we can appreciate that about the teenage stage of that. It's part of the, it's part of what you get. I forget where we where we pick these up, but we have some uh, some mottos or some bumper stickers that we talk about. And you're either winning, you know. There's the the W and the L categories. There's the winning category, and then there's well, when the when the kids played sports, sometimes they'd say you're either winning or you're learning. Yep, and that's the one. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the W L. You're winning or you're learning. And if you're winning, you're not really kind of going to be growing much. It's just a success and yay. It's when you when you have the uh, the frustration, the mistakes, mm-hmm. the messiness. That's when we learn. Now in our society, it's called losing, <laughs> right? Right. So the L is losing, <laughs> and for me, it's when we do it wrong. That's when we learn because we have opportunity to make correction, and that's where a good coach will take those opportunities to help the team learn and do something different, which is mm-hmm. learning. So can we really think about winning and learning? Yeah. As we work well, with our adolescents. Kind of- calls back to um in the podcast with marco previously where he said the one thing he would change for his old self is go back to prioritizing character development over skill development Mm. and i think we do put so much emphasis on performance that that causes so much anxiety for our teens because they're not going to get it right every time it's not Mm -hmm. possible it's not possible for us as adults no and so that focus really is what creates some of the problem that expectation that we have of them get it right well they're 
they're figuring out they don't even know where their feet end <laughs> you know knocking into things and yeah. stuff like give them a break so we're trying to just understand them ourselves and kind of change the focus to um if we want to have a better relationship with anybody in our lives we got to understand where they're coming from and give them some respect so we what are some things in the that we did in our family we we had some things that we did really intentionally to try to create connection Yeah, because I think I felt to coming into the teenage years that what I'd mostly heard was you just kind of have to put your head down and survive it. Just like barrel your way through it. You'll get out on the other side. Hopefully they'll still like you on the other side. Yeah. That just seemed so depressing to me. <laughs> right. Like Cause I it's wanna... like on pause. Our relationship yeah. is on pause until you, and become... you don't know what you're going to get on the yeah. other side. But I, I wanted to have connection with them through it because you've, as a parent, you feel a big change when they go from being your little buddy that just tells you every mom, look what I did in school today to what we called the cave years. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when yeah. they start to just become monosyllabic and you get a one word <laughs> answer. And if you're texting, you get a K, oh, you know, that or drove like, you crazy. Oh my goodness. So you start to grieve almost to the the person that you knew as your child while they go into this kind of feels like this dark phase where they it's not you know i don't feel like they're trying to create that separation they just no they just it's turning inward internal yeah Yeah. so i i thought about this when a few weeks back when we talked about birthing process for women and you working as a doula there's a phase where the women turn inward Mm -hmm. uh, during difficult time when there's changes happening. Mm -hmm. And I think about adolescence that way, that there's a lot. And they don't turn it on. It just happens. No, it happens. it's biological. And there's a different experience of the the external context Mm -hmm. of all of a sudden the others, uh, there's less information coming from the outside and more coming from the inside Mm -hmm. and trying to figure out. And it magnifies what they're, yeah, the way they're feeling things. And And we, we talked about this in terms of you feeling like you lost your little buddies when they were like toddlers and middle or Mm -hmm. uh, elementary school kids to later on and having to translate what that internal turning Mm -hmm. looks like. Right. I think we, we talked a lot about that transition. Like when we'd go for a walks and we'd be done and you'd have these two six foot guys on either side of you not me your sons and we'd be walking and you'd come back and you're like i am just i'm tired of getting bounced around i feel bruised from our walks and the conversation we had was and you translated that for me and said well they you know because they don't it's weird once they get taller than you to just be hugging as much as you do when they're little. You know, they don't sit on your lap. Obviously, they don't yeah. hug you. So their their touch now is just kind of like shoulder checking you. So they're yeah. bumping into you. It's like it's contact. It's, contact, it's, but it's physical contact. And it's intentional. And yeah. it's their different puppy, big puppy way of touching. And that actually really helped me see it in a different light instead of like they're, they don't, they're not taking care. They're bumping into me or you know they're they're actually showing need for affection i still have the video on my phone when you put on the football helmet in our dining room so our boys played football and one time you're like well this is interesting and you put the helmet on and all of a sudden they started head slapping you i know and you're (laughs) just like remember you're holding (laughs) you're holding the face mask with your hands and you're getting knocked around what it felt like to be on the field when the guys are all Congratulations. And, and they're giggling and you're going, I don't think I like this. <laughs> but it was it was involving they you. They were being playful. Yeah. They were being playful. They were inviting you into their lives, like, which yeah. not appropriate, right? I'm not I'm not well, saying it was yeah. appropriate, but I didn't it was actually get hurt. <laughs> you you didn't. But you could see how that could like don't you know, I could get defensive of don't right. do that to your right. mom, or you could be defensive or, or scared or, um, and it could go a very different direction, Right. but being able to go, so Oh, interpret what they're trying to do. Yeah. yeah. The, the intent of, of it and, and how we navigate that. I think other rituals we had were around the dining room table, which we didn't even know fit the literature, like <laughs> the, the fam, uh, yeah, Fuller we, Youth Institute, our, their research talks about family meal being a protective factor. Yeah. We just did I mean, that. It, but we also are really fortunate that we both grew up in homes that made that part of an important part of the, you know, our day. Yeah. So we grew up with having meals around the table with our family and 
that was that was just a natural thing for us to do. It wasn't easy because no. our kids all were involved in everything and we had evenings were full of going back and forth to practices and concerts and sort all sorts of things. So I would sometimes have to throw some food at them at four o'clock, <laughs> you know, like a pre-dinner. Yeah. And then we wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't be eating dinner until 7.30 after practice or something like That's that. Right. But we tried to make it uh, an intentional time where we would sit down no homework was at the table. No, I don't think they had phones back then, but yeah. no phones were at the table. Mm-hmm. And we asked them questions, had to ask them to ask us questions yep. to show some interest in just what's going on in the family. Well, and, and another another one of those that I love that continue now as our kids are in their 20s and uh, when they kind of boomerang back home for a little bit before they officially launch uh they're great cooks and that really i I feel like that's one of my biggest (laughs) parenting wins and i am gonna take the credit for that one yeah and it (laughs) came it came it came out of a ritual though that we'd have monday would be jacob's day yeah tuesday was zachary's day wednesday was thursday wednesday was ryan's day what how many children do we have (laughs) thursday was annika and i think i bought pizza for friday so (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, they love to eat. They do love to eat. And involving them early in the process of picking out things in the grocery store and then helping me in the kitchen to chop them just, and it was also one-on-one time with Mm -hmm. each of them where they would get to pick what they wanted to eat, help create it, and then get all the accolades when it tasted good or, you know. Or when we're just like, oh, well, that's not a (laughs) do-over. Not going to do that again. Uh, yeah, and now they all cook really well, and it's a good life skill. It is and a good life skill. It's a benefit to us now when they are living at home. They're happy to, to yeah. cook. Yeah, but that was a. I think that was a use of skills that they had. They loved food. They loved good food. They were interested in the preparation, and then involving it, building it into our family time um, when they yeah. were teenagers, has been was a yeah. was a success. Yeah. Another thing that I remember I did with the boys when I felt like it was hard to get them to talk to me yeah. was they were all really into music. So they'd have, they'd have their, you know, earbuds in or whatever. And it wasn't part of their world. So before they went to bed at night, I'd ask them to play me one of the songs that you've been listening to today. Yeah, yeah. And I'd listen to it with them and then ask them what they liked about it. It was a way to enter into what they were doing. I didn't, I still don't remember the bands or like, sometimes it was a little alarming <laughs> what they were listening to, but, and but just asking, opened up all kinds of stuff they would talk to me about that otherwise wouldn't have come up. Oh, I know. And you, you support, you kind of encourage that. I took one of our children to a concert that I don't want to admit to, but it was, um, yeah. yeah. I mean, we do things where we're like, what have I done? And then the boys that were there that I had take, took, uh, also were like, there's a lot of pot smoke. Are you going to be okay driving home? And we should probably leave now. And And they were the ones ones being conscientious. I'm like, you don't, don't leave a concert early, uh, but it's we do things that may be out of our comfort level mm-hmm. uh, that show this kind of playful openness and curiosity. Yeah. And I think I think that's something that we we've made a commitment to do. But it's it's really hard. Well, the playfulness of, comes easy to you, and that's been a gift in our family because I've yeah. learned that I tend to be a little bit more serious just I in my know. normal orientation. So it. You know, it's a great tool with kids. It's fun in our relationship anyway, but yeah. it's a really good tool with the kids to just break up whatever it is going on with just a little crazy humor. Teenagers have wicked senses of Ooh. humor. And if you can play into that, it's so much fun. They're sarcastic. They're funny. They're creative. And you have to be ready yeah, to like have them. have the owies though. Like they they are good <laughs> at cut deep. <laughs> they are good at finding all those weak, uh, not weak, but maybe painful parts of ourselves yeah. and our inconsistencies. And that's that's where playfulness is a uh, is important for me. I'm and I'm humility. a play I'm a playful person, <laughs> but when they point out an inconsistency, like we're playing it, but then they kind of put a zinger of being able to like breathe and kind of make sure my heart rates down before I say something because I can have a pretty sharp tongue and uh and quick wit and wanting to be like okay I can win this kind of duel of going to owie places but what what is it really are they trying to hurt me or are they they're playing but it's but they hit hit a little too hard (laughs) and being able to talk about it another time is is important but I think as we as we speak with our kids as we hear as we develop these rituals there's 
there's a few things that I've noticed about both of us that are helpful. And it's, it's that curiosity of rather than jumping to conclusions about disrespect or um, ill intent by them of being slowing down and being curious on the best days, we do that Yeah. on the, on, well, on the mean, not so good days. We get reactive to that is that it does feel personal at first when your, your child be, starts to become you know, a teenager and starts to question everything and point out where you're wrong consistently yeah. every day. It can f- really wear you down, can yeah. make you defensive, can make you feel attacked and make it feel like this child that you've given everything to is now turning around on you and hurting you intentionally. So mm-hmm. it takes a lot of intentional work to to reframe that and say, this is not they're not intending to bring me down. Right. They're figuring out where they are. And part of figuring that out is just like the two-year-old says, no, you know, I'm not going to hold your hand. <laughs> I, it helps to think about them and just as a toddler in a giant body yep. that just ha- doesn't have impulse control sometimes with what comes out of their mouth mm-hmm. and that it's not intended to hurt me. Sometimes, sometimes it might be, but... It's coming from a place of them figuring out where they are. Yeah. And trying not to take it so personally helps us not react so sharply to yeah. begin with and then escalates the situation. And I think when when they were little and they the escalation was happening, we put them in timeout. I think <laughs> we now need to put with, ourselves yeah, in yeah. timeout. As, yeah. As adults uh, dealing with adolescence sometimes I mean I need I'm gonna, that I'm gonna take a walk. <laughs> I need to take a walk. I need to take a breath. Even when we kind of disagree on certain things or I remember a time in the podcast it's like it wasn't going well. It's like let's let's just turn off the mics and take a little take a walk, walk. <laughs> and come back in about fifteen minutes. Yeah. And there's good research about that. If yeah. we get elevated too much. It's hard to come uh, down. It's hard to come down. Uh, John Gottman talks about this. So we get flooded and we'll get defensive or we'll just shut down or we'll criticize or share contempt like eye rolls. It's never good to roll eyes with an <laughs> adolescent. But being able to regulate of like take a take 15 minutes. And we agreed upon it. It was like, yep, we both need to do that. And then we can re-engage again. And it's the same with our kids, mm-hmm. I think, of giving ourselves a time out isn't a punishment. It's really that regulation so we're not reactive and we can think in terms of big development. We can think about, okay, what's the purpose of this interaction right now versus it's just I feel hurt and I feel disrespected and I'm going to respond to that. Yeah, yeah. another thing I learned that uh, this was a fun memory. I only did this once, but you know, you get caught in this phase of parenting where you feel like my only job is saying no. Like I just feel like I'm just a referee. I'm breaking up fights. I'm telling them they can't do this or they can't do that. I can't stay out late for that. And I was complaining to my mom on the phone one time that I, that's all I felt like I was yeah. as a parent, was a, ref, a referee. And and she has great ideas. You know, She raised five teenagers at once. And she said, you got to just surprise them. You got to break <laughs> the pattern, break the tension, do something completely different. So I picked them up from school one time. And normally I was very tight with our, you know, you get home, you do your homework before we start going to practice and dinner and all this stuff. And I decided to change it up. So I, I picked them up. I had bought them some sketchbooks and pencils and all this stuff. And I drove us to a park and they're, they're like, what's going on? <laughs> is, she gonna, is she going to leave us? Yeah, I know. Where is she leaving us? And I said, no, we're not. They said, mom, we got homework to do. I said, doesn't, I'm, I don't care about your homework today. Yeah. It's a beautiful day. We're going to sit in the park. We're going to draw. And they just kept looking at each other like, what? What is She's happening? lost her mind. Yeah. Yep. And then they said, why are you being so nice to us? <laughs> and you're like, oh, and we must have been in a bad place. Yep. But it did the job of breaking, just breaking the cycle of where we were Yeah. and ha- having a little fun together and lying in the grass and doing some sensory things that just brought us back to, you know, enjoying each other. Yeah. And it, you know, it. I'll never forget it. I, I noticed you do that kind of that's a a big kind of event thing but you do that in little ways like at the dinner table uh (laughs) you surprise (laughs) you you can surprise them because as you've heard us talking today tara tends to be the regulated one and the organized (laughs) one who likes adrenaline and risk-taking but 
appropriately so. Right. I'm the playful one that probably has executive functioning issues that <laughs> tends to say things and then think about them later and usually am really inappropriate around the dinner table. Uh, we have meaningful talks about our spiritual formation, but then we'll also talk about why are underpants necessary. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, you'll bring so, that up. <laughs> and I tend to bring that up. So we have this pattern, but then there's times when you pull out a zinger like <laughs> You can't, people, you cannot believe what she says. And everybody just kind of stops talking, stops chewing. And then one of the kids will go, mom, that's your one. Yeah. They, they say, I only get one inappropriate, one inappropriate comment a day because somebody's got to hold the line. That's right. And then when you shock them and they're like, that's the one. And you're like, oh no, if I'm going to have a one, I'm going to have a really good one. Uh, but it's it, all yeah. of a sudden it's playfulness around this right. rather than the intense, oh, you can't talk that way or we don't talk that way at the table. You still say that a lot. <laughs> this probably shouldn't be a topic we're talking about at the table. But then there's times when you kind of respond that way mm -hmm. differently. And a little shock and awe. Yeah. Of so I'm glad that your mom kind of suggested that and it, it really has been working. So I hope people think about that. The other, uh, one other thing, and then I'd like to get to language that we use, mm -hmm. but I think about those that have two-year-olds right now. So maybe you're listening to the podcast and you don't have teenagers and it seems like it's 10 years away. Just developmentally, what they're going through at two Imagine giving them a lot more language and a lot more um, logic. That's what the teenagers will be like. They're they're exploring, testing the limits. They're trying on different things. At two, we can contain them. We can redirect them. Pick them up and put them somewhere. They can go into their bedroom, <laughs> and that's a good time out. Uh, but it's the same skill set. And so even though you might not have adolescence, you can still practice some of these things mm -hmm. with the uh, toddlers. Oh, yeah. 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 So when, speaking of the language, I think just part of what I was talking about with the stuff my mom taught me was just expectations and how you talk about who they are. Mm -hmm. That's another thing she did when she'd walk around with, she, we had five teenagers at the same time in my family. I was the oldest of five. It must've looked like a so, gang. Well, the Barnett I, gang. I mean, it was noticeable. So <laughs> when we'd be seen, people always had strange, you know, and really unhelpful comments about how her life must be hell mm -hmm. <clears throat> with five teenagers. And she would always respond like, well, I'm glad it's me and not you because they're amazing. I think teenagers are amazing and we have fun. And, and she so, would say that with you around. Yeah. So we'd hear that and, and that was the expectation of who we were. So it felt like, yeah, we're not trouble. We're, we're fun. Yeah. We're creative. We're funny. And I think how we speak about them, because everybody talks about troublesome teenagers. Yeah. I think I, I might have said this another time, but Annika, when she was little, one time saw um, something on TV that talked about teenagers. And she came to me and said, mom, when I'm a teenager, am I going to be bad? And I was like, what? Oh, and baby. She just said it already heard that that's what teenagers are. There was synonymous with being bad and trouble. Yeah. I think we, and we, we perpetuate that. We do. And, and not even realizing that we're sending a message that we're looking for the chaos. It's kind of a problem saturated language that we're focusing on the disrespect. We're focusing on the negative attributes and not necessarily saying this is where there's beauty. This is the, the benefit. When do you, when was the last time you talked about the benefit of adolescence and the beauty yeah, of Yeah, I don't them? hear that. The beauty. The who's, beauty who's of Who's ever said that? Uh, maybe I think that. we should. Yeah, because I, 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 they're so smart, they're so talented, and they they see the world differently. So in in family therapy, I love having adolescents. They narc out all the other family members, right? So oh. we're we're in. They're they're truth tellers. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But in a in a painful, uncomfortable at times way, and maybe not the most the best time. But they are truth tellers, and if we think of them as truth tellers, that frees us up to really, okay, I need to listen to this. And we can say, mm. hey, can we have this conversation another time versus don't talk like that? Um, and we're right. we're focusing on the beauty of them being able to speak to 
I, I love when my kids point out my inconsistencies, when what I say and what I do and what I'm feeling doesn't match up. Occasionally they'll go, uh, does your face know that you're feeling this way? Because they'll say, <laughs> how are you doing, Dad? I'm like, oh, I'm happy. And they're like, oh, I'm not sure your face knows that. Um, and that can be painful and seen as disrespectful. Or it can be like, oh, they're speaking. They're not experiencing me this way. Yeah. And can I be responsive to them? So the language that we use to talk about them, to talk to our friends about them, Right. I mean, how many times are we on the phone talking about our family or our kids and they're listening in or in the car when we're talking? Yeah, they do get supersonic hearing when they become teenagers too. Oh, do you if remember? If you're calling their name, yeah. they can't hear it. But we, if you're talking about somebody else in the other room, they get every detail. <laughs> we took one of our kids to a specialist because we thought that child had a hearing problem. Guess what? That child did not have a hearing problem. He had a listening problem. And that's what that's what the specialist told us. Yep. It was like, yep. oh no, that one can hear perfect really, yeah, really a good. Fun parenting moment. Yeah. And and instead it was like, oh, okay, so what are they attending to and not? Yeah. But the language we talk about adolescence, is it a time of opportunity? Is it a time of beauty? Is it a time of truth telling? Or is it a time of delinquency and resistance and rebellion? Right? That can I can all those things be true. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think they can feel true. Yeah. Uh, but how are we how are we focusing on it? And am I am I able to see the strengths and and build those and attend to those. Mm -hmm. I think we heard someone preach one time of what we attend to tends to be then what we do more of. Well, yeah, you you hit what you're looking at. Yeah, <laughs> you know well, the kid who's riding, learning oh, to ride a bike. That was me. And they're yeah, did that you do was that? me. Yeah, Dad was teaching me to ride the bike, and he's like, "Okay, so just the only thing you have to worry about are the trees. Just don't look at the trees." And I'm like, "Okay, don't look at the." And as I look at the tree, I drive my bike right, right into, into the tree. It. Yep. Yep. I mean, and that's how language works, too. I think sometimes what we think leads to the way we speak about things, and sometimes it's the other way around. Our language leads to, it precedes our thought. Yeah. And so the, the words we use actually can shape the way we think about things. So we do believe in changing our words sometimes before, you know, it'll we help us. It. Yeah, help yeah. us change our beliefs about those things. And, it, the, and the teens really read that right if you think back to they're good at reading the relational room they're good at picking up the social cues if we're if we're saying these things that's what they're listening to not necessarily our our other times that we're interacting in the crisis moments that's what they'll be listening to right well and they'll pick up on our actions even more than our words they should be matching yeah the congru <laughs> that's why they point out when the we're incongruent yeah yeah yeah. Another thing that you talked to me about in your developmental perspective that really helped, and I think we'll kind of finish up with talking about these things, is the felt needs. Yeah. Is that, is that Erickson? Yeah, Eric Erickson. And, and a lot of people learn about Erickson in terms of the stages like trust versus mistrust, autonomy versus shame and doubt. And those are the – those kind of stages are highlighting the major needs at that developmental stage. But underneath that, Erickson has this beautiful kind of shorthand. It's the engine that drives development around these needs. And it's what are the rules? So mm -hmm. our rules, our family rules, like you don't swear or you only get one inappropriate comment at the dinner table. Uh, the, your faith rules, the rules of your church or your belief system, uh, and then the rules of society. So we have these rules that are set up. And you can see parents that are rule-based parents. No, stop it. Don't make me pull this car over. So help me, right? <laughs> Those kind of languaging. And, and we've all... sounds like me. <laughs> yeah, we, 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 we all kind of know when we're being a rule-based parent. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, yeah, like that no, no, no. How many mm -hmm. times can I say no mm -hmm. in a day? But that's all speaking to the rules. And then we have uh, just the needs that kids have legitimate needs. Teenagers, their needs are going to be identity, kind of that idea of belonging. And it's going to be about intimacy and and close connection. Mm -hmm. um, but we also have the need-based parent of whatever, like if we, I took the kids to the grocery store and they just wanted to eat things, I would, you know, weigh them before we go to the grocery store, they'd eat all the grapes and that. And then I'd weigh them again and pay the difference because I'm not going to set a limit. I'll just let them do whatever they want to do because that's need-based parenting. Both of those are problematic. What we're wanting to see is Erickson talks about how do we bridge? How do we have identifying the need that our child has 
and identifying the rule. And then when they're younger, helping them meet the needs within the rules. And when they're older, how do we help them identify the rules and the needs and meet that? And mm-hmm. uh, Frank Furstenberg talks about this of as they get older. I know I'm lecturing. Mm. As they <laughs> as they get older, uh, we want to increase their sense of autonomy, their ability to do that and decrease our kind of rule focus and being able to do that for them. So adolescence around 15 and up, we're wanting them to participate more in identifying and setting the rules and I, and meeting their needs. So that's the, there's thus endeth the lesson on <laughs> development. But, yeah. But your talk about felt needs for me in a practical way was really helpful to just get behind. Yeah. Not why, the lecture, right? Well, the, the yeah. Practical. I mean, it, yeah. Yeah. It's helpful to know the, the, the philosophy <laughs> behind it, but in a in a practical everyday way when yeah. our because I think we focus a lot on teenage behavior. Yeah. And that's what's frustrating because we can't predict it, we can't control it, it doesn't make sense sometimes. But really focusing on what was the need that led to that behavior yeah. really helps us understand where they're coming from and helps us react differently. Mm-hmm. Um, so that helped me a lot in the teenage years was realizing that their needs kind of led to the way they were acting. And it wasn't just about me or like about trying to make my life difficult yeah. or about not be not um, behaving, yep. you know, or yep. listening. It was really about just the deepest needs that they have. And that gives you a lot more sympathy for them. Yeah, it does. And it changes your reaction in a big way well, and helps that helps the relationship be a lot more smooth because you tend to um, show them a lot more respect and a lot less just frustration. Yeah. Um, so that I, I really think if we focus on that, it also we have a few things that we've learned with our especially with our boys. Yeah. I mean, our girl fits into this category too. meet the basic needs first. Oh, you know, yeah. this is the basic hierarchy of needs. But we mm-hmm. learned the hard way that if you start, if you're going to try to have a deep conversation with your teenage son yeah. and he's hungry, Preach. tired or restless, Mm -hmm. it's not going to go well. Mm -hmm. So if you go to the basic needs first, we learned if we took our boys out for a really good meal, like a really hearty hamburger or something, Mm -hmm. they would, they'd be a lot more amenable to talking with us. Yeah. And it would be, it would be you, me and the boy or one of the kids. If we had something really important we wanted to discuss or just sometimes like a rite of passage, like, Hey, you're about to turn 13. Let's talk about some new responsibilities we want to give you or some new freedoms we take them out alone buy them a really nice meal and the fuller their bellies got the more they talked (laughs) oh yeah it was remarkable yeah yeah so like food food is huge like feed them i I just that's one of my biggest uh tips i give parents of teenagers like feed them well before you try to talk to them the the next one is sleep sleep and and the adolescents don't know they need this and i don't think adolescent uh pastor like youth pastors and people that uh, deal coaches understand the need of sleep for adolescents this really i think is super misunderstood or or not paid enough attention to with teenagers yes because most of the activities that people create for teenagers are all-nighters and like you know the church lock-ins like i hated sending our kids to those yeah because the so, Mr. Developmentalist, yes. Dr. Developmentalist, tell us. <laughs> oh, I like that. Yeah, yeah. That's a new name. How ma- I mean, they need way more sleep than they're getting, yeah, right? Yeah, so like- we, would, we would have these conversations with the kids because our kids wanted to be athletes and maximize their developmental potential. So they would say, what do I need to do? And I'm like, you need three things. One, your mom's going to take care of, eat really well. <laughs> uh, and when our boys were teenagers, our mm-hmm. food bill Higher than our mortgage bill. Ouch. Uh, (laughs) But they ate well. Uh, The next thing was exercise. And we would see them kind of prowl around the house. If there wasn't a physical outlet, um, they were grumpy and irritable. Practice after school, they would just be, I would call you at work and say they're like prowling lions in a cage. Like they need something to. Yep. We need to. They need to work out. They need something to hit. <laughs> yep. And, and so talking with the boys, eat well, have a good, have a good diet of good food, uh, exercise. And the last was sleep to maximize their developmental potential. And if they wanted to get as tall as they could on the, they'd see the growth charts at the pediatricians. And it's like, you want to hit the, the highest of that 
as a teenager, you need 11 hours of sleep. Yeah. And who gets that? Oh my goodness. They were like, uh, they were good with the food and the exercise. And they're like, uh, how are we going to do that? Because they would get up at 6am to go to school, uh, to go to high school. And so that means you work it back pitch dark to the school bus and yeah. So they were getting up before six. Yeah. So you work that back. They would have to go to bed around 7 PM to get 11 hours to wake up at six and it's just not going to happen. Uh, so the, as much as you can, nine hours is great, but even that there, you talk about this with melatonin. Well, I read something that said their, their melatonin doesn't, when they're teenage years, it doesn't even kick in until after 11 PM or something. Right. So they're not going to get sleepy until so later. Even though we, we tried to enforce a really reasonable bedtime and have them go to bed early, but they would tell me, mom, I lay, asleep, I lay awake for two hours at least before I fall asleep. Um, because it's just biologically not the way they're wired at that time. And we don't adjust our, our expectations. So ideally, and there's, there's some, there's some school districts that are doing this now of the young kids should go to school earliest and the teenagers should go late. You know, uh, I really felt bad for the first three period teachers in high school. They were zombies at that. Yeah. They're not paying attention. It's a challenge and they really needed to go to school like at 9am and have it go later, but that interferes with work and extracurricular activity, all of that. So Mm -hmm. we have these structural things that are set up working against the, right. and the it's need just for culturally, sleep. The expectations are teenagers, you know, don't need to sleep or it's more fun to stay up late. And, and so it's not, it's not encouraged. Yeah. And so then we do programming like a lock-in mm-hmm. of let's, let's give them all the amount of sugar, like Mountain Dew and those yeah, little sugar licks that they have. Yeah. And Twizzlers then, and M and M's and stay up all night. Oh, that's gonna that's gonna end well. <laughs> and how how is the next day on that? So then the parents are miserable. They are angry at the church leaders. They're angry at the adolescents, and it just it's it's really not appreciating development and and creating more tension and problems. And we need to think developmentally. Okay, now I'll get off my soapbox. <laughs> but uh, so an encouragement for you with adolescents or even younger kids of regulating, getting sleep patterns that are helpful, that are in tune and goodness mm-hmm. of fit for the kid, as well as the family is a gift. Like you worked really, we did, we worked really hard on sleep was really, really important mm-hmm. in our yeah. family. Yeah. Now we benef- don't sleep. It benefited us well. Yeah. Yeah. Now that we can sleep, we, we, we don't. don't. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're getting old and having to get up all the time. Right. No, it's, uh, but it, it was something that was important in our oh, family. Yeah. Yeah, uh, pre- we kept the we kept the structure around sleep so that they were able to get that maximum number of hours. Yeah, and it, yeah. it helps their their cognitive development. It helps their impulse control, and it also maximizes their. their yeah, physical. and this would be a whole different discussion, but I'm sure the media stuff now is what's the struggle with that yeah. because screens are on late and people wake up in the night, they're looking at screens and that's interrupting right. and we, all of that in a different way. And that's, that's not something we're going to address in this conversation, but, no. but having structure around that and expectations about what that does to our brains is a good idea too. Yeah. It's, uh, we, we can, we'll talk more about this. We love adolescents. I think we love parents of adolescents. It's a, it's an exciting time. We believe it's a time that can be uh, rich in mm-hmm. uh, flourishing for everybody involved. That's different than the messages of, oh, you have an adolescent and you get the sad eyes from people in the grocery store or at church. Oh, <laughs> well, it, it'll Good be done. Luck. It'll be done soon. Yeah. Um, no, it's a time to enjoy. And so maybe we can talk more about how we have enjoyed yeah, being we love them, And we hope that you will look for new ways to love any teenagers in your life. And we just encourage you to embrace the weirdness embrace the weirdness (laughs) thank you so much for spending time with us today we invite you to visit our show notes page and website for more resources and information if you like what you heard please rate review and subscribe to our podcast and share with your friends that would be a huge favor to us thanks bye-bye